Certainly in my family at the moment, uh, you know those family catch cries, phrases that sort of catch on? In our family, if someone's uh, enjoying themselves, we say, gee, that guy's living their best life. If we see a kid with chocolate all over his face and fingers, and we say, gee, that kid's really living their best life. You're familiar with the phrase, aren't you, to, to be living your best life. Well, today, uh, Jesus is going to give us a formula for how to, to live our uh, best life. Uh, it, it's so quite often it is said about someone that is... Well, someone has found their calling in life, someone that is in the zone, someone that's really found what they're good at, is getting uh, stuck in. Jesus is going to pick up that theme and tell us how to really live the life that we were designed to live by our Heavenly Father and thereby have uh, the good life. The catch is that it doesn't always mean that things are going to be peachy. It won't mean that things are always going to be rosy at all. It is in, in fact going to be quite a counterintuitive principle that in fact the way to the good life, uh, the way to abundance of life is in fact to lay down your life, uh, to take, pick up your cross, a symbol of death. It's only those that lay down their life, that take up their cross and follow Jesus. They are the ones who will find the good life, true abundant resurrection life in this life and the next. So let's, let's dive in. We're in Matthew uh, chapter 16. It's following on uh, from, from, from last week. Peter was the hero last week. This week is, well, things change pretty rapidly. It's Matthew chapter 16, verses uh, 21 through to 27. So if you've got it in your Bibles, uh, if you've got it on your, on your devices, um, you might want to follow us along. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through to, uh, through to 27. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Church, let's pray. God of grace, we pray that you might illumine these scriptures, bring them to light, help us to see your word, help us to apply it in our lives, help us to not simply be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We pray that my words might be your words, we pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. In Jesus' name, the people said, Amen. I think there are many phrases in scripture, many, many little lines of scripture that have become part of common usage in the Western world. 
Uh, we are blessed to be part of sort of a broadly Judeo-Christian heritage in this country. And, and Scripture is really one of the foundational planks of what makes the, the Western world what it is today. And so various parts of the Bible live on in people's minds, even though they might never have been to church. They might never know who originally said the phrase. and not really sure the original context, but, but they, they, they know these phrases, that things such as to turn the other cheek or to do unto others, to cast pearls before swine, to hide your light under a bushel, to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, to be the, the salt of the earth, or do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You might hear of someone going the extra mile. You might hear of a, a wolf in, in sheep's clothing, or that those who live by the sword die by the sword. These are all sayings from Scripture that a lot of people don't know well, where they came from or what the context is, but, but they know them. And I think our phrase today is, is, is one of them. Our phrase today of, of taking up your cross, I'm, I'm bearing my cross, is, is another one of those phrases that I think you hear people saying, well, I've, everyone's got a cross to bear. Well, this is just my cross to bear. The trouble with these sayings being familiar to so many people today is that not knowing the context means we're liable to, to misinterpret them, to, to, to get them wrong, to, to actually make them mean things that Jesus never actually meant them to mean. And I think this idea of bearing your cross or of taking up your cross is a good example. You hear it used today, you say, oh, well, this is just my cross to bear. It's used for everything that sort of ails someone, so an inconvenience in your life, or something that you've just got to grin and bear it. It's used for acne, to, 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 to baldness, or for those of us that have both acne and baldness at the same stage of life. I don't know how that happened, but uh, I mean, what sort of a genetic screw-up is that? Oh, just my cross to bear. That wasn't, isn't in fact what Jesus is talking about. Oh, I've got this dodgy brother-in-law, just my cross to bear. Oh, my mortgage payments, well, they're just the cross that I have to bear. That's not actually what Jesus is talking about. Uh, having mortgage payments isn't a result of following Jesus. Having mortgage payments is a result of taking out a mortgage. These are things that everyone has to deal with. All people have to deal with acne and various ailments and dodgy brother-in-laws. These are not particular to followers of Jesus. This is just part of the human the human condition, this side of, of Christ's coming. The context here, though, is Jesus is actually talking about the consequences of being his follower. He's saying, this is what it means to, to be my follower. He's actually saying, you need to take on and accept the consequences of, of, of being my follower. So whenever I hear someone say, oh, it's just the cross that I have to bear, I want to say to them, Crocodile Dundee style, that's not a cross. That's just a result of having bad genetics or as a result of having taken out a loan at the bank. Jesus is talking about what it means to be his follower, to make sure that we count the cost of, of being his follower. The context here is that he has just told them that he's about to die. He's, 
If you've been journeying with this church in the marketplace, you know they've been following his call to the disciples. He's sending them out. He's warned them very plainly about the persecution that is, that is coming. And he, he's, he's really driving the point home. He's saying, I'm, I'm on my way to Jerusalem to die. I'm going to have an encounter with the, the teachers of the law, the authorities there. And, and he's basically telling them, they're going to want me to, to back down. They're going to want me to change course. They want me to just stop rocking the boat or, or suffer the consequences. He's telling them quite plainly, he's going, he's going to be killed. He's going to die. Well, Peter doesn't much like the sound of this. See, Peter's got in mind earthly glory for Jesus and probably, truth be told, a little bit of reflected glory for himself, yes? Bear in mind, too, that, of course, we all understand, I think, that those first century Jewish people thought that, you know, Jesus the Messiah would come and be a great military leader. But you, you really need to understand the context of centuries, centuries of oppression, of being persecuted, of being run over the top by, by one empire after another. They'd taken the promised land after escaping slavery, and under David and Solomon, they were a mighty power, but it wasn't long before the Assyrian empire came and swept through, swept away the ten northern tribes, never to be heard from again, really. A few scattered remnants became Samaritans, despised second cousins. And then after the Assyrians, then came the Babylonians. They finished off the job. They took them into slavery by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down and wept as we remembered Zion. After the Babylonians, it was the Persians. And then after the Persians, it was the Greeks, Alexander in what we call the intertestamental period, uh, his empire. And then, of course, by the time Christ arrives on the scene, it's, it's the Romans too. One empire after another, subjugating their people. They just wanted someone to come and raise up a great military leader and to set them free and to, to bring glory and honor. This is what Peter had in mind for Jesus. But in one of the strongest rebukes in Scripture, one of the clearest displays of the force of Jesus' very forceful personality, get behind me, Satan. That's got to hurt, doesn't it? Get behind me, Satan. That's pretty rough. He says to Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God, but things of men. You've got your own agenda. That's what you're thinking of. You've got in mind your own glory, your own prestige and nation's prestige. He actually calls him a, a stumbling block. So that's the context here. Jesus is, 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 is saying very, very clearly, I'm on my way to death. This is not going, not going to end well, at least not in an, in an earthly sense. And that's when Jesus kicks off and, and talks about this phrase. He uses this phrase, if you want to be my follower, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Firstly, deny myself. Uh, I didn't realise this, but I did a little bit of research. The Greek word is a panomeia. Don't quote me, I'm not much of a Greek theologian. But the original word uh, means, yes, you could deny truth, but it was also closely associated with denying a person. Uh, you would deny someone. Listen to this. It's the same word that is used of Peter on the night of Jesus' betrayal. Peter denies Jesus. You might also think of it of disowning someone. 
of, uh, of to, to renounce someone. Peter renounced Jesus that night, denied that he even knew him. He disowned Jesus. That's what Jesus means here when he uses this word to what we translate in our NIV as to deny, to completely renounce, to disown. To disown who? Myself. To deny myself, to disown myself. Jesus is saying, I want to be number one in your life, above even your own desires, above even your own wants. I, I, I need to be number one. I, I need to have the keys to your life, to have the, the steering wheel of, of your life once and for all. And this phrase, to take up your cross. Church, you need to know the only time you ever saw anyone carrying a cross was when they were going to die. They were a dead man walking. The Romans, of course, as we know, would execute their vilest criminals and, and, and rebels. What you might not know is that crucifixion was designed to be utter humiliation, utter submission, reserved for rebels and offenders, people who had rebelled against Rome. And so do you see... The, the cruel irony here of the Romans is that your final act was an act of complete submission, complete and utter defeat, complete and utter rejection of your humanity. You thought you would rebel against Rome, did you? Your last living act will be to carry the instrument of your own demise to the place of your death. Have a look at this fellow. This is what happens to those who think they will rebel against Rome. It is, in fact, an act of complete Submission. It is an act of, of complete defeat, a yielding, designed to embarrass, designed to be a, 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 an, an object of, of scorn. So Jesus is, is saying here, I, I desire submission in the same way that the Roman Empire demands submission from a rebel. It's strong stuff from Jesus here. Church in the marketplace, I, I, I really want us to understand the strength of, of Jesus' words here. It's quite shocking when you think about it, when you think about what he's, he's saying here. He says, this is ironically the path to life. Complete submission is, in fact, the path to life. Every decision we make is to be done in the shadow of the cross. When you reach a crossroads in our life and have to make a decision, what will I choose? Will I choose my own earthly way or will I choose yieldedness, uh, submission to the cause of Christ? When I have a decision to make, when I, have a, when I run into somebody that frankly might be hard to love, am I going to show a similar Christ-likeness a godliness that I'm called to here as a follower of Jesus, or will I simply do my own thing? The decision to lay down your life, to pick up your cross, to bear your cross, won't just be a one-off. It will need to be a daily commitment. Church, I'll confess to you, the Pete Chapman wells up in me afresh every day. Wake up in the morning, how am I going to bring glory? Well, what will I do that will be good for me today? No, no, every day, Heavenly Father, here I am. I yield, 
my life to you. I, I surrender completely over to you. Have your way in my day today. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the way to true life. It's only by giving your life up that you find it. Nothing else will go the distance. Nothing else is going to go the distance in this life. Nothing else is going to bring you meaning and purpose in this life. Nothing else is going to bring you eternal life. So take up your cross doesn't mean clinging to it in a moment of desperation like a soldier in a foxhole as the bombs drop and then at that moment clinging to a physical cross. It doesn't mean simply wearing it as a fashion accessory. If you'd rather wear a cross than bear a cross, I don't think you get it. Certainly I've got nothing against wearing a cross. If it helps you to understand, look, this is who I am. This is the Lord that I serve. I, I wear a cross as a symbol, ironically, of it being not of death for me, but of new resurrection life. Well, this is the good news in it all, church. Jesus said, yes, lay down your life. I'm going to go to Jerusalem to be killed, but I'll be raised again. The good news for the follower of Jesus, if we follow him to the cross and lay our lives down, then we will share in his resurrection. He's but the first fruits of the resurrection, new life. We are the Easter people. We are the Easter people who believe in new, abundant resurrection life. Friend, this is the way to be who you were created to be. This is the way to true life. This is the way to the life that you were designed to live. The things of this world are fleeting. God knows that you need stuff in order to live. He knows them and he loves you. He will provide what you truly need. But can I encourage you to know that true happiness, true joy, true fulfillment is actually found in commitment to Christ. Saying yes to Jesus, I'm going to follow you to death if necessary. It's not likely to be the case here in Bondi Junction anytime soon. But church, let's be honest, many followers of Jesus have had to make that call down through the millennia. Still today, this has happened. Followers of Jesus at various points down throughout the church's history have had to say, I'm choosing to surrender my life rather than to deny Christ. I want to leave you with, a, with an example from Another fashion accessory, another fashion icon, not wearing a cross, but a little crocodile. And if you're familiar with uh, the French tennis player René Lacoste, René Lacoste was a tenacious tennis player back in the 1930s, won three Grand Slam tournaments, three French, two Wimbledon, two US Open, a whole bunch of doubles and mixed doubles as well. René Lacoste was known for his tenacious style of play, his aggressive style of play, never giving in, a tenacity, and he was labelled, was given the nickname the crocodile. He was happy to accept that little moniker, he was happy to accept that little nickname, and he actually started emblazoning, you know, getting a little crocodile sewn into his, his tennis blazer, and the name stuck and eventually became the Lacoste brand that we still uh, recognise today. Can I encourage you to have that same tenacity of that little French tennis player that was known as the crocodile, let crocodile, but instead of a, a crocodile, let the cross be for you, your guiding light, 
that the cross, the empty cross, the cross where Christ has defeated death, that death has no more sting in your life. The tomb is empty. Praise God. Can I encourage you to show that same sort of tenacity, that indefatigable willingness to follow Jesus through thick and thin, in good times and in bad. Friends, that is the way to the good life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for help in laying down our lives, taking up our cross, seeking not our own will but yours, seeking not earthly glory, Father, but your glory in our life each and, and every day. Help us to have the mind of Christ in every decision we make. Come and be Lord of our life in every corner of our hearts. Father, come and reign in our life. Come and reign in our finances, in our family lives, at work and at play, in our sexuality, in our relationships, Father. Every day, in every aspect of our life, come and rule. Here now, Father, we yield our life afresh. We lay down our lives. We take up our cross and make a commitment to following Jesus, to being like him in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.